Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Woo! Everybody, good morning. I'll do that again. Woo! Good morning. Good to see everybody. I just felt like today was a good day for a, a Rick Rick Flair yell. It kind of feels like that kind of a day. Uh, welcome. Good morning. I am Pastor Chris. Uh, thank those of you who are tuning in online. We love our large and growing, engaged online community. So thank you guys for doing that and joining all these beautiful, wonderful people here. Thank you. Great to see everyone. Now, uh, if you are here today uh, for the very first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so uh, glad that you are here. You are probably here because someone uh, loved you enough or cared enough about you uh, to extend an invitation, and that makes you very special. Uh, or maybe you think that you are here today uh, simply because you Googled us, uh, you found us online, you got a postcard in the mail or something like that, you saw a social media ad, and uh, you think that's why you're here. Absolutely not. You are here today because a loving, heavenly Father has been drawing you to himself, and we here at Coastal, we have been waiting for and praying for your arrival. So welcome. We are glad that you are here. Now, everybody listen up. Regardless of who you are or what you've done, what you think your past might look like, or why you're here, I believe that our God is up to something. I believe that. I believe he's up to something here at our church. And if you've been a part of Coastal lately for any length of time, you know that. You believe it. You've seen it. I also believe, though, that he's up to something in our world today. But I do know this for a fact. He wants to transform all of our lives. And to me, it just feels like that if nothing gives, that if nothing changes, that we are headed toward some sort of, you know, dramatic ending. Now, don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand what I'm saying today. I am not some sort of, uh, you know, apocalyptic prophet, nor do I claim to be one. I just simply believe that the world in which we live today is primed for and in need of a move of God like never before. I mean, I think we'd all just be honest with ourselves and admit, yes, the world that we live in today is a mess, full of hatred, division, sexual confusion, wars, immorality, corruption, disease, financial instability. And people today, maybe like never before, are searching, searching for answers, searching for hope, searching for something but they're not finding what they're looking for. And time and time again, they are doing what we've always done. They're looking for answers and solutions to those in power, from those with money or influence or intellect. You know what I'm talking about. You know, the next president, the right judge, the correct political party or ideology, will somehow, way, fix the mess that we find ourselves in and, you know, make everything right with the world. So let me just ask you, how's that been working for you? You know, they're also looking from within. 
looking within. That somehow, if I can, you know, just take enough good care of my mental, emotional well-being or my physical condition, that we will all be at peace with ourselves and one another and we'll sit in circles in a lotus position and sing kumbaya to one another. And today, the world will be a better place. And yet... You know, honestly, after a renewed emphasis on self-care and mental and physical health and well-being, that is not what's happening at all. Suicide rates are up, and they are up at younger and younger ages. Anger, breakdowns, disease, all on the rise. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking this morning. You know, you think that because I'm a pastor, and this is a church, that I'm going to tell you that religion is the cure to all the ills of this world. Well, you're dead wrong. In fact, I think I could argue, as many others have done before me, that religion has done nothing but contribute to the mess that we find ourselves in. I mean, people in my profession seem to have the same problems with immorality and corruption as everybody else in the world. And as a result, people are leaving their religion today by the droves, thousands, never to return. I mean, Charleston, our beautiful city, my beloved hometown, it's known, of course, as what? What do we call Charleston? The what city? The holy city. Because of its rich history of religious freedom when we were founded and its many historic churches with beautiful steeples that dotted the landscape of our horizon as ships from both near and far entered our ports. Now, as wonderful as that might sound and as appealing as that might be to the tourists who come here and spend their hard-earned dollars, The world does not need more church buildings or church people who look pretty on the outside but who are rotten on the inside to the core. So what do you believe the answer is, Pastor Chris? I mean, if the answer people are searching for is not found in politics or presidents or finances or self-care or religion, then what is it? Well, I believe with all of my heart And I'm convicted of this now more than ever before. The answer is found in the good news of the gospel. And that is the simple message of the book of Romans that we're getting ready to go through together this fall. The power of the gospel. The power, the transformative power of the gospel. So, Pastor Chris, what is that? What are you talking about? I'm going to do my best to explain it, kind of in a nutshell. And I want you to listen very closely. The gospel, my friends, is the good news. The good news that our loving Heavenly Father, He created the world and everything in it, including you. And He made you to love you and for you ultimately to love Him back to have a personal relationship with him. But he gave us choice. 
freedom of choice. And we chose collectively and individually to turn our back on him and to go our own way, our own path without him. And the Bible simply calls that sin. And that, that path has led to the demise of and the destruction of our world over the years. And ultimately, eventually to our own spiritual death. But God, in his great, great love for you, he decided to go on a great rescue mission to personally pay for the penalty of your sin and of mine and to give everyone, everyone who would, the opportunity to to right this relationship and to come home. And he did this by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to the earth. He took the initiative. He personally did that. And his son, Jesus, lived a perfect, sinless life. And in the process, he showed everybody what God the Father looked like. However, by God's own creation, he was arrested on false charges He was beaten and bloodied to within an inch of his life. He was nailed on a cross and crucified between two common criminals. His body was laid in a tomb. And it was sealed with this huge stone and in fact guarded by Roman soldiers. But three days later, On early Easter Sunday morning, Jesus, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death and the grave and that he was who he said he was all along, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And for the next 40 days before he ultimately ascended into heaven, the resurrected Jesus bodily and literally was seen by hundreds of people. And those accounts were recorded in human history. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. It started a revolution, turned the world upside down, And millions upon millions of people have since devoted and given their lives to following Jesus. But here's the key. If anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how horrible you think your past might be, it doesn't matter. If you will simply humbly repent of your sin and place your trust and your faith in Jesus and him alone, and you I just ask him to be your savior and the Lord of your life, listen to this, you will be forgiven of all of your sin, you will be made right with God, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he will indwell and empower you and give you peace and purpose for life, a power for living every day, and a guaranteed home in heaven for all eternity. But again, it's appropriated by faith. 
in a nutshell, that's the good news of the gospel. And you see, it is meant to affect and infuse every area of our lives. It is the answer that you've been searching for. It is the thing that keeps you up late at night. And whether or not the world ever recognizes it, it, it is also what the world is looking for. And it's what they need. And you see, the book of Romans, this, this letter that Paul wrote, it is the clearest, most in-depth look at the gospel in the entire Bible. And that many people have called it the greatest spiritual letter that's ever been written. I want you to look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and it really is kind of the, the theme for the entire book of Romans. He says this, For I am not ashamed, of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who what? What's the next word? Who what? Believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. That's you and me. That includes us. This good news tells us, again, here it is, how God makes us right in his sight. Now again, how does that happen? This is accomplished from start to finish by what? Faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, this study, the study of this one letter alone, has literally changed millions of people throughout history and has served as the spark that has ignited multiple moves of God throughout history. I want to give you just a couple of examples. In 386 A.D., uh, Aurelius Augustine sat weeping in the backyard of a friend. And he knew that his life of sin and rebellion against God was killing him. His life was a mess. And that was leaving him empty, but he just couldn't bring himself to make a final decisive commitment to Jesus. And history tells us that he picked up an open scroll of the book of Romans, and he started reading it. And he gave his life to Jesus, and he went on to become one of the early church's most influential leaders and theologians. Well, about a thousand years later, a monk a monk in the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, he was in the order named after that man, Augustine. He was confused about salvation and about faith. That monk's name was Martin Luther. Through the study of Romans, he became truly born again. And he nailed his uh, 95 thesis to the, the Wittenberg church door. And he started the Protestant Reformation several centuries later. And an ordained minister in the Church of England was similarly confused about the meaning of the gospel. And he too was searching for answers. Isn't it interesting that a Catholic monk, uh, uh, an ordained uh, priest in the Church of England, both confused about salvation and the gospel. Any of you ever grown up in church and never really understand the gospel? Well, he happened to attend a small Bible study where somebody was reading from, get this, Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And later that evening, a man by the name, this man by the name of John Wesley, 
gave his life to Jesus and was truly saved. And he went on to start what we now call in history the Great Awakening across our country. So I just need to tell you, woo, Pastor Chris is excited. I am. I don't know who, I don't know what, I don't know how. But I am convinced in my heart that our God is going to do a mighty thing here within our church as we talk about and study and look at this book together. I mean, I'm serious, man. I got chills this morning. The hair on the back, well, not the hair. Anyway, I got chills. I got goosebumps, okay? Because who knows? Who knows? It might just be the spark that ignites your faith. Ignites your life to faith in Christ and starts a revival, an awakening, a revolution here in our community, in our country, and in our world. So follow along. Join us. And follow along now as I read the opening greeting to this letter Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I want you to pay attention though. I want you to pay attention to how often he mentions the gospel and he talks about and explains the good news in this, this greeting to this letter. Here we go. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son, in his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, there it is, the good news. All about Jesus, the promised Messiah, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his own holy people. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So that is the message of Romans. That's what we're gonna be talking about how it infuses and affects our lives in everyday ways, why we need it, what it does, the transformative power of the gospel appropriated by our faith. Now, let's talk about the man behind the letter, the man who wrote it. He is an example to us of the transformative power of the gospel. He's the Apostle Paul. Now, he begins by introducing himself, and right from the beginning of the letter, you just simply see the difference Jesus has already made in his life. In fact, he says, remember, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Circle, underline that word slave there. You see, Paul was originally named Saul, okay, named after the first king of Israel. But somewhere along the way, probably at his conversion, he becomes, he, he, his name is changed by, uh, to Paul, to Paul. Now think about this though. The name Saul actually means aggressive, ambitious. Again, think about King Saul from the Old Testament. Paul's name means, you know what it means? Little, small. 
And then he describes himself, again, as a slave of Jesus. Now, some of your translations might use the word servant. Uh, The word comes from the Greek word doulos, and it definitely means slaves. And slaves in the first century had absolutely no rights under Roman law. They were owned by their masters, considered property. Uh, The rabbis of Paul's day used to say that the greatest insult you could pay anybody was to call them a doulos because it was so demeaning. So again, right from the beginning of this letter, you almost hear the echoes of what John the Baptist said in John 3.30. He, Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. We don't see a lot of that in the world today, do we? Not even among some religious leaders. But you see, Jesus had gotten a hold of Paul's life and had radically transformed him. But you got to hear this loud and clear, and this really is my point today. Saul was the least likely person that you would ever, ever think that would be transformed by Jesus. You'd never think that Jesus would get a hold of his life. You know, when we think about the Apostle Paul, we tend to think about somebody, you know, that we can't really relate to, right? You know, great church planter, uh, writer of most of the New Testament, man of God who was constantly putting himself in harm's way to share the good news of the gospel. But you got to hear this. It wasn't always that way. I mean, in many ways, he really suffered from the same two problems that, that, are, that are keeping many of you from ever finding your way to God and having a personal relationship with his son, Jesus. And some people, you know, will look at their past and they'll say things to themselves like, you know, God would never want me. I mean, Seriously, I mean, you talk about that, you know, but God, God don't want somebody like me. You know, I, I've made far too many mistakes. I've done too many things that I'm ashamed of. I am damaged goods. Well, that's one side of the coin. Shame. Rebellion. The other side of the coin is something that we don't think about too often, But listen to me, it is just, just as effective in keeping people from ever coming home to God truly, having a personal relationship with him. And you know what it is? It is religion. And it is rampant in our culture today. It's rampant in the church, especially here in the deep south. But And it's it's really just the other side of that same coin. Again, you know, one side is rebellion, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm too bad. You know, I, I'm, I'm not good. You know, I need a lot of shame and guilt. But the other side of the coin is, you ready for this? Well, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I'm a lot better than my wicked coworker or neighbor, right? You know, I, I go to church periodically. I've done some good things for God. I, I've served and I've given and, and uh, you know, I'm religious. I was raised in the church. But the problem is still the same. You still don't know God. Now, you know about him, but you don't have a personal relationship with him. Again, two sides of the same coin that keep people from having a relationship with Jesus, either rebellion or religion. Now, if you've ever experienced any one of those things, you can relate to this man. You can relate to Paul. Listen, he had a horrible, horrible past. He did despicable things, and yet he was also very religious. 
And both of those things were getting in the way of him coming home to God, finding and living for Jesus. Now, in his early life, Saul was a Pharisee. And he believed he actually needed to kill Christians because they were a threat to his religion, Judaism. And he believed that he was actually doing God's will by doing so, by wiping out the followers of Jesus. In his mind, believers in Jesus were heretics, and if he could do what he could to stop this, then maybe God would send the real Messiah to save Israel. He was very, very religious, well-educated, ambitious, zealous, and yet he was full of bitterness and hatred. In fact, on your own this week, you ought to read Acts uh, chapter 6 through 9. Uh, Saul was actually there at the stoning of Stephen, one of the early martyrs of the church. In, in, in fact, in Acts 8 chapter, uh, verse 3, it says this, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Acts 9.1, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I don't think we see the real graphic nature of what's going on here. His goal was to destroy. In Acts 26, 9-11, Paul says this about his former life. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. By the way, that's not just a nun smacking their knuckles there, okay? Again, you got to imagine the graphic, bloody nature of what's happening here. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violent violently opposed to them, that I even chased them down in foreign cities. What I'm saying is, it doesn't take a lot of intelligence to see that Saul was a despicable human being. He had blood on his hands, innocent blood. He was a murderer who was against uh, people whose only crime was believing that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah. And so when we look at Saul's past, we're not talking about just some minor little character flaw here. But the crazy thing, he was also religious. In Philippians 3, 5, and 6, Paul describes, in fact, how religious he was. He says this, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. In other words, hey, listen, I've done all the right rituals. I've done the things, right? Listen, we have our rituals today, right? Many of you have participated in them. You know, whether that might be, uh, you know, catechism or confirmation or baptism or communion. Now, listen up. Listen to me. Never, ever, ever confuse the symbol with the substance. The symbol in and of itself doesn't save you. The person behind the symbol saves you. I mean, if you personally don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord and you get baptized, man, you're just getting wet. That's it. He says, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew if there ever was one. What's he doing? He's bragging about his, his spiritual heritage. You know, like we do today. My grandmother was a devout believer. My parents are Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian. Listen, big, stinking, hairy deal. That, that ain't going to save you. 
You know, he says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. In other words, he kept the rules. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. In other words, he was self-righteous and super, super religious. Has that ever described you? Outwardly, you might be religious. You even come to church from time to time. I mean, you, you, know, you kind of wonder why God isn't doing a great move or an awakening in your own life. You know, I mean, you might serve once in a while, give periodically, you know, but in your heart, you've never fully, really trusted in Jesus and followed him. You don't have a personal relationship with God. Again, what's, what's the difference? It is the, the supernatural power of the good news of the gospel appropriated in your own life by a real and genuine faith. Listen, religion ultimately, it just makes you proud and self-centered. The gospel will make you humble and generous and kind. You know, every religion in the world, it basically works, works off the same basic principle. You know, I obey you know, I do good things, and uh, therefore, at some point, I will be accepted. I'm accepted because I'm good enough. You know, on, on the grand scale of judgment and comparison, you know, my, my good outweighs my bad, therefore, I'm in. The gospel, my friends, is just the opposite. You see, there is no scale of judgment or comparison uh, between you and other people, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, the Pope, or your neighbor or your coworker. The standard of judgment is pass-fail. Pass-fail. And we are being judged and compared to the holiness of God. Always doing the right thing, never doing the wrong thing. In fact, always doing the right thing for the right motives. Anybody fail as a result of that? I do. I do. You and I can never make up for our sin, and yet God, in his great, great love for you and for me and for this whole world, sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. You see, because of what Jesus did for me and my faith in him, I am loved. I am accepted. I am forgiven. I have been given a purpose for living. I have hope for eternal life. It has changed my life. It has transformed me. Therefore, I want to obey. I want to serve him. Don't you see the difference? I don't do it because I'm trying to earn my way or work my way into something. No, I do it out of love and gratitude. And Paul found that. He found that love and acceptance on the road to Damascus. In fact, he was on his way actually hunting down and persecuting believers when he literally was struck down because he saw the light, the light of Jesus. Jesus appeared to him on that day and called him out by name. You can read about it in Acts chapter nine. That day, you know what he discovered? That, that he was a sinner, he was in need of a savior, and he discovered that Jesus was alive. 
And he was who he said he was all along. On his way to arrest other people, Jesus got a hold of him and arrested him. He went from darkness to light, from not being able to see spiritual truth to having the eyes of his heart open wide. Saul's life was immediately transformed. He goes from being a destroyer to a follower, the leader of the anti-Jesus movement to a missionary for Jesus. It was amazing. Acts 9, 20 and 21 says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him, listen to this, were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? I love this. People are astonished because they remember, man, this is the guy who raised havoc. Anybody ever say that about you? You know, what? Isn't he or she the one who used to raise holy hell in high school? And now they, they found Jesus? They follow Jesus? They go to church? In fact, you can see his changed heart fully on display in the following verses of this chapter, 8 through 15 of Romans 1. I mean, again, he goes from hunting down followers of Jesus to now being, being so grateful for them, it says in verse 8. That he's thanking God for them. Verse 9, he's praying for them day and night. 10 through 15, he's eager to see them, you know, to encourage one another, to impart some sort of gift, and he wants them to grow in their faith. Now, Again, as you look at the, the story of Paul, as we go through this letter, you might be tempted again to think, man, you don't relate to it. But really, if, I mean, if you know the context, if you understand what's going on here, how this man gets saved is an example for all of us that anyone, anyone can be saved, that no one is beyond the reach of the good news of the gospel, and that includes you, that includes your friend, that includes that family member that is so far away that you don't know if they'll ever come home. It, it includes everyone. Listen to what he says later on in his life in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. He says, this is a true saying, and everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and I was the worst of them all. But that is why God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. And yet Jesus displayed his ultimate and unlimited patience and saved him from his sin. That's the power of the gospel. And that's what we're going to be talking about this fall. So today I'm just going to close this way. I got to ask, what about you? Are you saved? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in Jesus for your salvation? Do you have a personal and ongoing relationship with Jesus? Has he transformed your life? See, if the answer to any of those questions is no, you're not saved. 
So which is it? Is it rebellion? You know, your past shame and guilt? Or has it been religion? Neither one gets you to heaven. Listen, just like the Apostle Paul, hear this loud and clear today. Jesus is calling your name. He's calling your name. Call out to him. And I want to give you the opportunity right now to do that. I want to give you the chance to do it right now, right here. Are you ready to be saved? If so, I want you to bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for drawing people here to yourself today. Thank you for those who responded to an invitation. Listen, anyone, no matter who you are, if you are ready to come home, if you are ready to come to faith, you can simply pray something like this in your heart. God knows your heart. He sees you right now, not a crowd of people. He sees you. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I admit that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. I repent of my sin by changing my mind about the way that I've been living. And by faith, I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth with all of my heart. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead and you are alive. Thank you for bearing my sin and giving me this gift of eternal life. I believe your words to be true. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior, my Lord, my forgiver, my leader. I surrender to you today. Make me into the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.